Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 193 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Navigating the Great Resignation. A Q&A with M and Marty. A lot of our listeners are finding it extremely challenging at the moment to operate their businesses with all the volatility in their workforces. Every day there are hundreds of podcasts, blogs and articles published about the Great Resignation. But despite a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth, there doesn't seem to be an oversupply of solutions, other than this vague notion that you need to focus on your people 
and keep them happy in order to retain them. In many cases now, keep them happy equates to pay them more. This can have significant consequences for many businesses, which are forced to either raise their prices or cut their margins. It can be a pretty tricky game to play. In today's Q&A, we're going to take on several listener questions that focus on the specific aspects of the hot labour market, with some practical advice on how to approach some of these. So we're going to cover the bonus culture and people's expectations for financial rewards. We'll look at the situations, which I suspect are becoming much more common, of people who've left your business wanting to return. And we'll work out how to leave the door open for your top performers. Of course, with the Q&A format, I welcome back my partner in crime, CEO, co-founder of Your CEO Mentor, and my firstborn daughter, Emma Green. Hey, Em. Ah, thanks, Marty. It's great to be back. We've covered so much ground on the podcast since I was last here, haven't we? Oh, totally, Em. We've looked at mental health issues in the workplace and how to handle those as a leader. We've dealt with the growing problem of burnout. Uh, We've tackled a rather sensitive issue of hypocrisy in leadership. I did an episode last week on cognitive biases and how they affect our decisions. And I even managed to slip in a tribute to the late, great Taylor Hawkins of Foo Fighters fame, who sadly passed away in March. Uh, Very sad, but some great leadership lessons from that story. Oh, so sad. And I'm a huge Fooey's fan too. So I really loved that episode. Um, We're covering some pretty hot topics today, Marty. There are so many leaders in our community who are struggling with issues related to the changes that we've seen in the workforce since COVID hit. So, I don't know, hopefully we can give them some useful food for thought over the next 20 minutes. Yeah, look, we'll give it a go in any case, Em. So let's crack on with unlocking some of the leadership issues around the Great Resignation. Okay, cool. So I've got a few related questions from our listener, Kelly, that are themed around people who have left or are leaving the organization. I think we'll do these in a couple of parts. Yeah, good idea. So the first part is some employees who are leaving companies during the Great Resignation are finding that they want to return to their original employer. What are the pros and cons of taking them back? What do you reckon, Marty? Has this ever happened to you? Uh, yes, it has. And look, this is a great question, Em, because it goes to the heart of why people leave. Now, let me just make a few general comments about the Great Resignation. And I know this is going on in a bunch of countries at the moment. First of all, when you've got a high level of demand in any market, it's a seller's market. And at the moment, it's a seller's market in labour. There are lots of jobs and it's easy to get one. Now, that reduces the risk of leaving where you are and spreading your wings. Second, Let's go to a couple of the reasons for people leaving their current jobs. The pandemic shifted a lot of perceptions that were previously not questioned or debated a lot. Of course, working from remote locations would never have taken off without the pandemic acting as a catalyst for that. Then, there's the basic element of fear and realisation that eventually, we're all going to die. So it gave people some time to re-evaluate what was important to them. There's clearly going to be some implications flowing from that. Now, there are two scenarios here. People are tired of putting up with crap, so they leave for greener pastures. And the other is that people want to find their purpose and leave to pursue that in a startup or self-employed capacity. Now, I don't have any numbers on this, just some anecdotal observations. I think people being tired of where they are and feeling as though they're not being treated well, somehow that says to me, good luck, but I don't know that the grass is actually greener. And I want to do a podcast episode on this because I think it's really important to have that in context. There aren't a huge number of awesome leaders in the world. 
So if you leave where you are, the likelihood of landing in a place where you have a better culture and stronger leadership isn't as strong as you might think. The second thing is, if you're going off to find your purpose and pursue a startup or become self-employed, it's still a business and the failure rates are still super high. So because of these two things, I don't think it's at all surprising that you're going to find people wanting to return to where they came from. (laughs) It feels a bit grim, Marty, but it is a good background to set us up here. Um, Are you going to answer Kelly's question? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, eventually, you know me, I'll get there. (laughs) All right. So uh, do you take someone back who's previously left is the question. Okay. Of course, like most things in leadership, it depends. You need to go through a checklist. Is this person a strong performer? And this is number one. You don't want to take anyone back who isn't actually going to increase the strength of your gene pool, so to speak. The second question is, are you just longing for some stability? Now, when there's highly volatile times and you're seeing your team composition move around all over the place, it's sometimes attractive to say, I just like someone I know and trust. And so sometimes that can be very seductive. Is it someone who's going to lift the current capability of your team or fill a critical gap? Because what you're looking for is to make sure that you have all of your critical positions filled with people who are capable of doing that job. So decide that and then execute it dispassionately. If you want to take them back, take them back. Don't punish them. Don't make them feel guilty. Don't keep having little digs at them, you know, like saying, oh, well, you're really lucky we took you back three months into the job, treat them like you've just hired the next best thing. Pay them what they're worth, lead them the same way you would any other valued performer, but don't take someone back unless they're the real deal. So in my view, every resignation is an opportunity to hire someone better. Focus on that, and if you can't find someone better or you know there's no one better in the market, then sure, take someone back who you know is. Yeah, you mentioned only taking back people if they're high performers. We've got a great checklist from one of our earlier episodes, um, episode 24. It's the high performer checklist. So you can kind of go through that and see if that person that you're potentially taking back actually ticks the boxes. So I encourage you to download that one. You can get it at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 24. It's completely free. Okay, so what if you decide not to take someone back? Uh, Well, again, if that's what you decide, that's fine, but you have to execute dispassionately. Say that you really appreciate the fact that they would consider returning. Don't reference the fact that they were disloyal, they let you down, just focus on the present. So you can say something like this. I'm really flattered that you would consider returning, but since you left, things have changed considerably in the business. We've had to restructure some of the roles and our requirements have changed as a result. We don't have a position for you, unfortunately but I wish you all the best with your future endeavours. Okay, cool. That's a really professional way to handle that. I think that's probably part one of the question covered. The next part of Kelly's question is about how you can leave the door open when a high performer leaves. Right, well, this hasn't really changed a lot. When you're losing a high performer, the most important thing is to try and find out why. Now, bear in mind, almost no one tells the truth when they leave an organisation. So you hear about these exit interviews, why did you leave, what could we have done better, all that sort of stuff. Most people just prefer to play a straight bat, leave the organisation without any sort of acrimony or uh, any sort of conflict, and go on to their next thing. So you won't always be able to get down to the why of, of them leaving. But the next question is the important one. 
Is there anything I can do to keep you? Now, I want to dive into a little story, Em, that it reminded me of, because I think this is quite important. I had someone who was two levels away from me. It wasn't a direct report, but was someone who was really on the rise in the organization at the time. And I'd had some contact with him. I knew what he was doing. He was a really, really good guy. And one of the people that I had on the hot ticket for succession planning. Anyhow, I heard along the grapevine that he'd tendered his resignation. Now, he's a really honorable guy. He wouldn't have uh, thrown his boss under the bus, and he certainly didn't talk to me about it. He just quietly went about saying, I've had enough. And they say that people leave for different reasons. Um, And most of those reasons are all around to do with who you're working for. I knew there'd been some issues with the boss that he was reporting to, who was a direct report to me. So I called in this guy two levels down and I said, look, I understand you've resigned. Is there anything I can do to keep you? And he said, no, there's not. I've just decided for this reason, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, look, that's fine. I understand the dynamic between you and your boss. I don't want to give away too much because this is confidential, but I'm dealing with that issue myself from my angle as his boss. Would it make a difference to you if I could tell you that I was going to resolve that problem soon? And he thought for a minute and he said, it would actually make a big difference. And I said, okay, leave it with me. So what I did was it sped up my appetite for doing the performance management on his boss so that I could actually move him out of the organization and make sure that I could retain this really good individual. Oh, what a great story, Marty. So what if they still decided to leave after all that? I guess you can't stop them. No, you can't. But if they still decide to leave, you can always leave the door open by saying something like this. Uh, I understand that you need to pursue this other opportunity, but I just want you to know that I would have you back in a heartbeat. And whereas I certainly hope everything works out for you and that you find what you're looking for, if perchance it doesn't, don't hesitate to call me and I'll see if I can find an appropriate role for you here. Okay, cool. That sounds like a very elegant solution. Have you ever tried to keep them closer to you by keeping some ties to the organization? So, for example, giving them leave without pay for 12 months so that they can dip their toe in the water of another opportunity. Um, I've heard of quite a few people going on a sabbatical for a year and then coming back to their previous role. What do you think? Well, it's a good question, but I must admit I'm not a huge fan of that approach for several reasons. The first is that you want them to have a genuine choice that exposes them to the risks of what they're doing. Now, if they feel as though it would be too easy to have a safety net, then, you know, it makes it much easier for them to leave. Well, you know, I can always come back if it doesn't work out. So giving them that lifeline de-risks the option of leaving and it just makes it more likely that they will. Uh, On top of that, for me, I always wanted people to be successful and happy in whatever they chose. So locking the door firmly behind them actually changes the way they approach their new opportunity and it gives them a greater likelihood of success. You know that you operate very differently when you don't have options. And to go forward, hard, dynamic, not thinking about what you're leaving behind is the best way to ensure success. If they come back to you, it's likely they'll feel a little embarrassed and this can also affect their performance, which is why you should consider only taking your highest performers back. Okay, cool. That all makes sense. And I really hope that that helps Kelly and anyone else who's in a similar situation. 
So continuing on this theme, our second question is from Nathaniel who asks, how can you deal with a bonus culture? I've been setting targets and KPIs for my team and providing ongoing updates on the KPIs so that people have feedback on how things are going. Since starting that approach, I've been facing a barrage of what do we get if we meet the targets type questions. Feedback and knowing you're doing a good job is fine, but it seems that the expectation I've encouraged is that there would be further reward. How do you set KPIs and targets without it creating a bonus culture? Uh, I work in mining, just FYI, so there's an element of what the other mines do that is influencing the employees' expectations here. Any talks of targets equal financial bonus. And I know a lot of industries that are like that, who where the, the whole industry uh, kind of sets the tone. Yes, ab- absolutely. Pattern bargaining, they call it. Mm. Yeah, look, there's a heap of elements to this one, Em. Uh, in unionised workforces... There's a much stronger sense that any improvement made by the workforce has to be traded for extra money. Now, look, I don't object to the principle. Let's face it, a negotiation is all about trading terms, so you never give away something for nothing. But if people are going to go over and above to help the company make more profit, it's only reasonable to give them a share of that profit, right? Well, it might seem that way, but not always. Let's just consider a few scenarios. Think about the case where the team is grossly underperforming and the improvements you're asking your people to make are simply to reach a reasonable minimum standard. Now, you're already paying for that. You're just not getting it. That's their day job. That's why they get their salary every month. So sometimes you just need to enforce that and lift the standard without paying them anything. Uh, Another situation is that sometimes employment instruments like collective bargaining agreements that stipulate very clearly what people in different roles are paid, have already had allowances or payments baked in to reward future performance improvements. Now, this is classic union shenanigans, right? In wage negotiations, they'll say, uh, for example, we agree to make these changes in how we work as long as we're paid X percent more in our salaries. Now, often the pay rises flow through, but the improvements are never realised. You come back later to ask the workforce to make the improvement, and they have really short memories. Uh, We'll do it, but you need to pay us more. Wow, we already paid you for that. No, 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 you didn't. That was for something else. So whose fault is this? Well, it's management's. It's shit negotiating, and it's poor execution. But this is what happens in weak leadership teams. This is a very real example. It demonstrates why over the years and decades, Unionised businesses have become inefficient and unproductive when compared to non-unionised businesses. Now, people may have philosophical views about whether or not this is acceptable, but I find that lack of competition and protection of commercial businesses is a recipe for disaster. It's, it's pretty bad for all stakeholders, including the employees with the undemanding, well-paid jobs, funnily enough. Um, another scenario for this, though, you might have just done some benchmarking work and found that your performance in a particular area is way below industry standard. Is it unreasonable to suggest that the standard's improved without having to pay people for the slightest performance increment? So, M, that's just a few scenarios to give you an idea about some of the situations you're likely to encounter. Mm, so much food for thought there, Marty. <laughs> it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it is. It is, and there are so many different paths. Um, my question was, as a leader, what do you do when people expect bonuses for making improvements? What's the process there? Well, look, every company is different, of course, but here's a couple of things I'd consider. The first thing is, is it causing a flight risk? 
Now, this, of course, feeds into the great resignation concept. In a hot labour market, don't you want to keep your best people? Well, yes, but be aware of your desirable versus undesirable turnover, which I've spoken about a number of times on the podcast. Um, There's two types of turnover, right? It's not all bad. Desirable are the people who you don't necessarily want to keep or need to keep, and they choose to go somewhere else. And that's fine. That, That opens the door, as I said before, so that you can hire someone better. It's an opportunity. But undesirable turnover is when someone who is really good, who you really want to keep, who's part of your succession plan, decides to leave. And those are the ones you need to regret and to chase after. But don't feel as though you need to keep everyone. Um, The next thing is, look at the corporate bonus structures. These are normally very clearly defined, and they're also completely discretionary. So you've got options there. Uh, The next thing is, if you're going to set KPIs, you better be certain that they achieve the value delivery that you anticipate. For example, uh, I've seen heaps of cases where the employees have been paid for delivering a piece of work, say, um, I don't know, a new financial reporting process, and it has resulted in zero additional benefit for the stakeholders of the business. You don't want to be paying for that. Finally, if something is worth paying for, be really clear up front about this. And only pay when the benefits have been captured, not one minute before. Equally, if it's something they should simply be doing as part of their day jobs, make this clear too. Yeah, that value piece is so important. Just working out what the actual value delivered is to ensure that the organization is truly benefiting from that piece of work is just absolutely critical. Um, I think this should be done ahead of time though. That way you know what to look for when you're assessing whether a project is a success or not. Oh, absolutely. And and look, culturally, you can get into a lot of trouble by promoting a culture that expects financial reward when no financial benefits are being delivered or when the slightest improvements are made, obviously, as I said before. Mm, So true. Okay, cool. I think we've covered those questions pretty thoroughly. Hopefully, that has helped some of our leaders who are being challenged by the bonus culture environment. Marty, do you want to wrap this up and take us out? Sure. Thanks, Em. Uh, All right. So that brings us to the end of episode 193. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember... At Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please take just a couple of minutes to rate, review and subscribe to No Bullshit Leadership on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for coming to the front of the mic again today, Em. Uh, I'll really look forward to next week's episode, continuing to address on the theme of people changing careers. Are entrepreneurs happier? Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a No Bullshit Leader.